Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Well then, we will go ahead and get into our study. A couple slides first. So... The first, ex- uh, first exile expeditions, temple from ruins. So this was the first group of, of Jews that went back to Jerusalem um, out of Persia. Uh, that was all under King Cyrus, or Sa- was it Cyrus? Cyrus, uh, Cyrus. Uh, yeah. We'll, go, we'll get to that and look at the, the timeline there. But, um, so we had the first expedition, they went back to Israel and they rebuilt the temple. There's like a 16 year gap there where they paused construction on the temple and they came back to it. And we left, we left the Israelites at that point, or at the end of chapter six, the temple's completed, they just got done dedicating it. Um, and everything is hunky-dory, that's, that's great. They're all pursuing God at that point. Uh, then we go back to Persia and Everyone almost dies. So this is, again, the story of Esther uh, and the plot of of Haman to destroy all the Jews, uh, basically because he felt personally slighted by Mordecai. Um, And there might have been some other background stuff going on there, but it all kind of stems from Mordecai refusing to bow down. And so he hatches this plot to destroy all the Jews. And we have this amazing, dramatic moment where he goes to dinner with Esther and the king, and Esther points the finger at, at, at Haman and says, this is the guy. I mean, he's the one that is trying to kill us all. And we see his, basically, this small enterprise that he had created just come crumbling down around him. Uh, so we see all that happening. So that's back in Persia. And now we're going to be going back to Israel, or back to Jerusalem, and this is about 60 years after the events of chapter 6. So there's a 60-year period in here that is when Esther takes place. Um, let's go back to this one. So the first, first uh, expedition back is under Cyrus. There's a couple of other kings in here that didn't, had, didn't really play any major roles uh, in, to Israel in that moment and then Darius is who is ruling in chapter 6 at the time that we left the Israelites. So after Darius we had Xerxes aka Ahasuerus and this is where the story of Esther takes place and he, Xerxes ruled, ruled for about 20 years and then he was assassinated by, uh, let's see here, forget the guy's name, Artabanus. Artabanus and Artabanus kills him, appoints Artaxerxes as the king, and Artaxerxes kills Artabanus. So that's just a lot of killing. Uh, he kills his brother, and he also removes uh, one of his other brothers, uh, another Darius, removes him from power as a governor of one of the provinces within Persia. Um, so there's a lot happening here. I'm going to kind of just skim through my notes here because there's a lot of historical context that's going to happen that is good to know to kind of give you a little bit of perception of what's happening in Persia at the time of Ezra chapter 7. Um, I did want to include this map. This is basically the entire Persian Empire at the time of its height. So it, it extends all the way out. This is Greece over here. 
Egypt down here, is, Jerusalem's right here, and Israel, modern day Israel anyway, kind of cuts down across rut row. I think we got kicked over here. Perhaps, there we go. So Israel's right over here, and there's this kind of pie-shaped countries where modern day Israel is. Um, that's important to know because right around the chapter 7, Greece and Egypt are both pushing on the western border of the Persian Empire. And they are allying with each other. And so, and we'll get into this a little bit later. Back over here, Xerxes, he's sending all of these, he gives Ezra permission to go back to, to Jerusalem. And he's sending all this gold and wealth with Ezra. And he, there's three things that are happening here. He, he, fears, he fears God, that's mentioned in the Bible. He fears God, he fears an uprising of Israel, and he's most likely fearing Egypt. So he's probably building up Israel to try to stem a, an attack from Egypt going into Israel, or into uh, Persia. So we'll get into that a little bit more detail later, but that kind of gives you an idea of where we're at. So most of our stories have happened in either Babylonia or Susa, sorry, excuse me, Susa, or it's a Shushan in some translations, and Jerusalem. And the route that people typically took was to follow the Euphrates River up until about right here, and then they'd, stop, they'd pull a U-turn and start coming back down to Jerusalem. They probably followed this road up here and then came back down to Jerusalem. So that trip right there is about, uh, what was the distance on that? I had the distance at one point. I can't find it, but it's about, I, th I think it's about... Uh, 400 miles, I think. It took them four months to do. Um, so that's a long trip on foot, um, and I'm, it's in my notes somewhere, so we'll come across that. But So as I said, it's been roughly six year, 60 years uh, since we were last in Ezra, and we left off with the people of Israel having completed and dedicated the temple. The king at the time, Darius, had a favorable view of the Jews, and the people were seeking the Lord uh, God of Israel. Things were looking great. Um, after chapter 6, there's a 60-year period in which we find the account of Esther. In Esther, we can clearly see God's sovereign hand. I just kind of wanted to include that God's sovereign hand because that's the theme of Ezra and Esther, essentially. Um, at play, as we saw Haman's rise, his plot to destroy the Jews, and his rapid fall. We see God's positioning of Esther and Mordecai to be in the right places at the right time and God's protection of his people. Now, as we return to the book of Ezra, things are not looking as great for the Israelites. There's a new king in place. Um, the Jews have become apathetic and settling into a pattern of lifeless worship, and some are even marrying into, um, uh, into unbelieving Gentiles. And so they're neglecting the law, um, and kind of, again, as is the form of the Israelites, to, they, kind of, they were obeying, and then they swing back the other direction and start kind of becoming complacent and falling away again. Um, so King, Arxerxes, or, yeah, King Xerxes, I, I said mentioned, uh, or I mentioned earlier, ruled from 485 to 465, which is about 20 years. Um, so during the time that he was ruling, he was quelling rebellions in Babylon and Egypt. There's a lot of military things that were happening behind the scenes that were not told about in Scripture. Um, and he had, in, he had invaded Greece, uh, and he had even gotten to the point where he had defeated Athens, which is the capital of Greece. Um, 
But later on, during the war, he had lost a third of his fleet of ships uh, to the Greeks in, this, in a battle at Salamis, which is, so Salamis is here, and there's a great battle that happened here, and that's where he lost a third of his ships. And that battle caused him to pull all of his ships basically out of the Aegean Sea and kind of retreat back toward the Mediterranean, uh, or back toward this coast and the um, northern coast and the west coast here. Um, in subsequent years, the Greeks routed the Persians from Europe and forced them to withdraw their ships from the Aegean Sea. Uh, Xerxes' reign would come to an abrupt end when he was assassinated by one of his nobles, Artabanus. Uh, one of his nobles, Artabanus. Xerxes' third son, Artaxerxes I, Longimanus, which is the king that we are studying today, uh, would assume the throne. Artaxerxes put his brother Darius to death, killed Artabanus, and stripped his other brother, Histaspes, of his power at at, as the governor of Bactria, which Bactria, I uh, lost track of that. Up, up north. Up here, yep. So his brother is the governor up there. Um, in 460 BC, Egypt rebelled again, allying itself with the Greeks against Persia. And so that's when we kind of start wondering, you know, what there's a big strategic play here uh, with this little piece of land that uh, is modern-day Israel. So, as the Jews, had uh, the Jews had returned to their homeland and they had built God's temple in Jerusalem, but neither life in the Promised Land nor worship at the, temples, at the temple guaranteed the Jews' spirituality. They needed, a, they needed to learn the ways of God and to walk in them, so the Lord sent them Ezra, a capable teacher who would instruct them in the law of the Lord. Ezra is known as the man of the book. He loved it, and he lived it. So, we'll come back to that in just a moment. The first thing we're going to address is just kind of create a little bit of a profile of Ezra. Um, so, Ezra enjoyed a rich spiritual heritage. So, I'm going to back up to this. So, here's Ezra. Hilkiah, Zadok, or Zadok, Abishua, Phineas, Eliezer, all the way back to Aaron. Um, he is a direct descendant of Aaron. Uh, Sariah, which is not on here, but it's mentioned in... Uh, I'm going to grab my Bible. That'd probably be helpful, huh? Let me open up this one. We'll read this section first just so we can kind of put some of the pieces together. All right, so we're looking at verses 1 through 6a. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalem, son of Zadok, son of Ahidab, Son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, uh, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. So not only is he a son of, or a descendant of some kind of funny sounding names. Um, so Sariah was the last high priest to minister in Judah before the Babylonian captivity. He's not listed in this uh, line here. Hilkiah was the high priest under Josiah. Zadok, Zadok was uh, the high priest under David. 
And then Aaron, obviously, is our first high priest, or Israel's first high priest. And so Ezra wasn't automatically acceptable to God because of his lineage. It was his devotion to God and his word. And we'll see that there's a, a verse in here that just basically sums up Ezra's perspective, um, which will be kind of our, our theme here uh, this evening. So going back, so we enjoyed a rich spiritual heritage. There's your first um, underline. And then number two, God uses the conditions facing Persia to persuade Artaxerxes to let Ezra lead a second return to Judah. Um, so with Egypt and Greece threatening the western border of Persian, Persian kingdom, uh, Israel... I messed up my notes here. Artaxerxes saw Israel as a strategic position, um, and we'll read later on that he also uh, feared God and feared uh, rebellion coming up out of Israel as well. Um, so verse 6, This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the, law, that, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was, uh, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So it doesn't necessarily specifically mention um, Xerxes at there, Artaxerxes at this point, but he was granted all that he asked. So he at some point approached Artaxerxes, saying, "Hey, I want to take an um, assembly down to to Jerusalem and teach them to love God's word." Um, and everything that he asked of the king, he was granted. And we'll see what, what was granted later on. Um, so moving on down here. So number three, Ezra had become sensitized to the Lord's leading through God's word, verses 7 through 10, uh, which say, if I can stay where I'm at here. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the, God, for the good hand of his God was on him. There's that, that phrase again. And then this is basically sums up Ezra's life. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes in, and rules in Israel. Uh, so God's hand remained on Ezra over the four months journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. Here it is. The trek would have been about 900 miles. See, I told you I knew it. In my, I had it in my notes somewhere. Uh, doing the math. This would mean that the group traveled an average of eight miles a day, six days a week for four months. They would have been going about two miles per hour at that rate, and it would have taken a long time, if you can imagine. But there's also a ton of stuff that they're hauling with them, and now, we'll, again, we'll get into all the riches that, that were given to them for this journey. Um, Ezra's drive and mindset was his devotion to follow God's law and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So... We can see that he's incredibly devoted to God's, God's word, his law, and allowing it to kind of influence his decisions in life. He stood on, his, on the, the promises of God when he approaches Artaxerxes and requests to, to return down to Jerusalem. So now we're going to get into the Persian king's help, verses 11 through 26. Let's go ahead and read that. Uh, 
I, before we do that, any questions so far? I know this is kind of a history lesson as much as it is a, a Bible lesson, but there's a lot of history around this. It's kind of cool to, to see what it is. Good. Okay. <clears throat> Verses 11 through 26. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra, the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the, of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or their priests, hold on, or their priests or Levites in my kingdom, who freely offers to go to Jerusalem, may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to, God, to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem." Uh, with this money, then, you shall with, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service uh, the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else uh, is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of, the, out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Uh, some translations might say Euphrates there. Uh, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests and the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this, of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates, the judge, and ju sorry, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly ex executed on him, whatever, or whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. So, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I did want to see if anybody has a different translation that would be able to read um, verses 22, when it's kind of tallying the number of, of goods, because my Bible uses terms that are not w what we would recognize. <laughs> Anybody have a different translation that be able to read that out loud? Okay, I know there's one that's out there, it's like, talks it, puts it in 
like pounds, like 100 talents of silver, I think it was like 2,000 pounds or, or 3,000 pounds or something like that, or tons, it puts it in tons, I think. Anyway, so it's a lot of, it is a lot of treasure, uh, of, of fiscal financial means that is provided to Israel for this trip. Um, so we're going to stay on one here. So as you see in Ezra, uh, we'll go back and read this. So in Ezra 4, 7 through 23, this is kind of jumping back to uh, a prior chapter. Um, there's those in Jerusalem that would like to see the Jews fail in their endeavor to rebuild the city. And so they write a letter to King Artaxerxes requesting he put a stop to it. Artaxerxes obliges at the time. And in chapter 7, we can see the king not only approves Ezra's request, but goes above and beyond in providing for the trip. I did want to go back uh, to chapter 4 and kind of explain that a little bit, um, but I wanted to read that letter just so you can kind of see the animosity that the Jews were facing as they were trying to rebuild uh, the city around them. Um, and that is in verse 7. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam and Mithridath and Tabiel and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written Aramaic and translated. Rahum, the commander of Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king as follows. Rahum, the commander, Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges, the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapper, Osnapper uh, deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river. This is a copy of the letter that they sent. To Artaxerxes the king, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. And now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us from, uh, have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. Now because we eat the salt of this palace, and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king, in order that search may be made in the book of the records of, of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and provinces, and that sedition was stirred up in it from of old. That was why this city was laid waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will then have no possession in the province beyond the river. The king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander in Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of the associates who live in Samaria, and in the rest of the province beyond the river, greeting. And now the letter that you sent to us has been plainly read before me, and I made a decree and search uh, has been made, and it has been found that this city from of old has risen against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made in it. And mighty kings have been over Jerusalem, who'd ruled over the whole province beyond the river, to whom tribute, custom, and toll were paid. Therefore, make a decree that these men be made to cease, and that this city be not rebuilt. Until a decree is made by me, and take, not, uh, take care not to be slack in this matter. Why should damage grow to the hurt of the king? Uh, then when the uh, copy of the king's Artaxerxes letter was read to, before Rahum and Shimshai, the scribe, and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem, and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and ceased until the second year reign of Darius. So that 
a little bit of confusion about that verse 24 there. King Artaxerxes did not come before the Darius that is mentioned in this, this chapter. Um, chapter 4 is just kind of a, a recap of the struggles that Israel um, kind of had to face when they were trying to rebuild everything. So this is a little bit of a time jump out of, out of place chronologically, uh, what's going on in the book of Ezra. Um, kind of looking forward to some of the things that they're facing. So verse 24, um, for lack of a better explanation, it's, it's, you have to look at that as separate from this letter that was sent uh, from Artaxerxes, or to and from Artaxerxes. Um, yeah, so you can see through all that, there's people that are working behind the scenes to try to put a stop to what Jerusalem is doing, or Israelites are doing. Um, if you want more detail on this, you can start kind of reading through um, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the one that kind of went and lamented over the, how the Israelites had just kind of let the walls be crumbled, and, and they start, he kind of whipped them up all into shape and started rebuilding the walls, um, and it was going so rapidly that people were starting to get afraid of rebellion. And you can see that animosity uh, arise in the book of Nehemiah. So I encourage you to read that because that's all happening at the same time as chapter 7. All right, uh, yeah, around this time. So you can see that uh, Artaxerxes has a change of attitude, right? So he granted the petitioners their, their desire of making them stop. And now he's saying, okay, Ezra, you can go and, and continue uh, and help out with all, with all of this. Number two, Artaxerxes recognizes Ezra's stewardship of God's word. Um, the king states that Ezra uh, is the, the law. Sorry, the king states that Ezra had the law of God in his hand. Um, this could mean a, a physical copy of the law of God, but it could be a recognition of Ezra's knowledge and use of Scripture. His just being able to reference it, um, being known or having the the reputation of his knowledge of scripture um, and living it. Um, and that was earlier on here. <clears throat> and that, I did not write the verses down on that. But um, So verse 10 is when it's saying that he uh, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, but the Artaxerxes says, I make my decree... And 14, for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of, the, of your God, which is in your hand. So he's, whether he's referencing his ability to teach the law and his knowledge or a physical copy of it, you know, it's, it doesn't specify, but we can kind of, we can interpret or read into that a little bit. Um, so there we go to number three, Artaxerxes and his nobles endorsed Ezra's desire uh, to return to Jerusalem. Again, we just read that. Uh, for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors. Um, talking through those things. Um, some translations might say nobles. Uh, he's granted permission. We'll kind of roll through these somewhat, somewhat quickly. Um, the king's seven nobles supported his decision to let Ezra and the Jews returned to their land, not only this, but they sent him with an offering of silver and gold, encouraged other cities to give offerings, and opened the royal treasury to provide funds and supplies. This is recorded as having been about three... Oh, here we go. I, I wrote down all the units, and I didn't even know. So, 
It's about three tons of silver, 2,000 pounds each, so that's going to be 6,000 pounds of silver, 600 bushels of wheat, 600 gallons of wine, 100 baths of olive oil, and unlimited amounts of salt. And obviously salt back then was a huge trading commodity, um, so that was a pretty pricey uh, donation, I guess you could call, to this expedition. Um, Going on number four, Artaxerxes feared that God would judge the empire if it refused to cooperate with him. Uh, this is found down, uh, sorry, I'm on the wrong page again. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. Um, so his fear was so great that he included a specific statement to comply fully with what God, with the God of heaven commanded. Um, this implies quick compliance as well. So it's not, he's fearing God, uh, fearing God, he's fearing rebellion as we read in chapter four, you know, he has people advising him saying, hey, Israel's going to rise up and they're going to rebel against you if you let them continue this build. So there's obviously that's floating in his head. Um, but his fear of rebellion is not as great as his fear of God. And he came to this reckoning that God helped him recognize that, hey, if I don't allow him to go, this is probably not going to end well for me. So I'm going to go and, and then I'm going to give him more beyond just letting him go. Um, so there's that fear of God, uh, fear of rebellion, and fear of Egypt. All those things are playing into his mind if you're putting yourself in his shoes trying to make this decision on whether or not to let him go. Um, number five, Artaxerxes grants Ezra the authority to appoint judges. So finally, the king grants Ezra the authority to appoint judges who will teach the law of God to uh, instructed Jews and uninstructed Jews. Those who disobeyed God's law were to be punished swiftly and appropriately. Um, so verses 25 and 26, And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. All such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. So different types of... Uh, levels of uh, punishment for not following the law, um, and they can judge those things as see fit according to the laws of, of God there. So, before I move on, any questions? I must be doing a really good job. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. So now we're going to move on to Ezra's response, which is covered in just a couple of verses here. First thing we see is Ezra praises God or praise God. God's sovereign hands is on display in his prompting of Artaxerxes' heart. Uh, so Ezra points to God as the one who persuades his heart. And we'll read the verses here. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, so uh, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. 
and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. So there's some kind of references back uh, to earlier chapter 7. Um, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me pause that. Uh, so Ezra points to God as the one who persuades Artaxerxes' heart using uh, words like uh, steadfast love or mercy um, there. And then number two, God's sovereign hand is on display in his provision of financial and physical needs. Um, so these things were not just to finance the expedition to go back, but it's also to adorn the temple once he gets there. There's a lot of... Um, and to adorn the temple and to also have sacrifices ready for when he gets back to Israel. He can go and start you know, sacrificing all these animals um, and putting them up as offerings. Uh, so all of his needs are met financially um, in that matter as well. Uh, and then... Letter B, Ezra is encouraged by God. Ezra recognized God's hand over the king's decrees. Uh, Ezra's, Ezra's response to the king's decree shows what kind of man he was. He praised to the Lord for what was being done under him, and he added that all of this was done to bring honor to God. The privileges granted by Artaxerxes were for God's glory, not Ezra's. So again, that's in that verse 28. And who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men uh, from Israel to go up with me. Which leads us to this point, Ezra confidently selected leaders uh, to take to Jerusalem. So he took courage, you know, that it's, as we found in as Esther, you know, the king has the authority to basically grant a, an audience to anybody. And if Artaxerxes took a page out of his father's handbook by any means, you know, he would raise a scepter. And that was basically, if he raised a scepter, you're, you're okay to speak. If not, you're going to likely get killed uh, or something along those lines. So Ezra very likely could have been faced with the same scenario. He, it takes courage to approach the king uh, when, you know, life or death is on the line. So he took courage uh, in... in um, for the hand of the Lord God was on me, he says. Um, and this all falls back to that verse 10 where it's um, talking about uh, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So God pressed on his heart to return to Israel and God was going to make that happen one way or another. It's going to happen. Um, Ezra asks the question and he gets what he wants, and then some. So um, we can see God's hand uh, at work over all of these things. So brings us to the so what of our lesson. Ezra 7.10 is kind of the theme of, of the lesson. Study the word, become a student of the word, exercise discipline, dedication, respect, and reverence for the word. Um, what, what, what kind of things can we do to to show this. Like, I'm, I'm just opening things up to discussion just for examples. Exercise discipline, dedication, respect, and reverence for the word. 
a, you know, a habit is something they have taught them every so often kind of thing. So to really be a student of the word isn't like a, oh, when I have time, because like we don't do stuff when we have time, we never have time, right? Mm -hmm. so, Discipline also just kind of gives the image of even when you don't want to do it, you make yourself do it. Like it's, we should always want to read the word, but there's going to be those days where we're just tired and we want to allow the flesh to overtake us and say, you know what, I'm just going to go to bed early or I'm, not, I'm going to hit the snooze a couple more extra times. Um, discipline is saying, no, I'm not going to hit the snooze. I'm going to get up because I need to read the word, right? So those types of things. What else? Do you have any other things come to mind? Yeah, like you pointed out earlier that the king recognized that the word was in his hand, the law of the Lord was in his hand, whether you know, he knew it well mm -hmm. by memory or had it with him. And I don't know, there's something to mm -hmm. memorizing it or keeping a copy of it with you. And mm -hmm. It shows that we value it. And, uh, you know, the Proverbs it talks about word out, I have in my heart that might not sin against you, and mm -hmm. the treasure of God's word, and I don't know, just yep. how do we consider it in value compared to other things that mm -hmm. we would memorize or fill our minds with? Or, you know. mm -hmm. I think when I'm reading a book, I can't stop, and I just keep reading until I get to the end. I think, do I do that with the Bible, and I'm reading through it every morning? Right. <laughs> Something like, oh, four long chapters, <laughs> Yep. I sort of lost the thrill there for a while in Micah and they, when I got to the end of the, I got all those prophecies and all the doom <laughs> that's going to happen. I was glad to get to the Gospels this month. Yep. <laughs> but God's good. It really points out things that happened then and are going to happen. And we need to be in it all the time. Absolutely. So, but... I feel guilty when I can't put a book down, but then I think, oh yeah, I finished my reading today, studying. Yep. Oh, and there's, there's hard, I encouraged you earlier to read Nehemiah, but there's definitely some harder passages oh, in yeah. Nehemiah where it just talks about, you know, this person had this role, this person had this role, this person had this role, and like lists off people for an entire chapter. And those chapters are kind of a little bit of a, a slog to get through. <coughs> Sometimes, but they add a historical value, right? So it's it, well, Nehemiah. It, I like because we did with the kids is a musical Nehemiah, yeah. Nehemiah. Yep. So, yep. so that I sort of have down in my head yep. how God directed them there. For sure. All right. So understanding, understand the rich history. I just mentioned this with Nehemiah. Understand the rich history that is at our fingertips to understand the scripture struggles uh, that regular history books. The, sorry, the spiritual struggles that regular history books leave out. Um, so there's, this is not just a spiritual book, right? It's a historical account. Um, so we can, we can read it with that mindset as well. Um, all these things, you know, Artaxerxes is mentioned in all the secular history books, right? That's, these are all the same people that we're talking about. So it's, this is not just a, a spiritual book that is allegorical or anything like that. This is truth. This is historical. Um, so we have all of that at our fingertips. Yeah. The world. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot 
to really see what's happening over, like in Jerusalem and in, in Israel. Yep. You know, uh, you hear so many stories that the Palestinians have a right to be there. Well, you know, if you look through the scriptures, you know, that's, that's God's chosen land for his people. Mm -hmm. But uh, everybody gets the thoughts about, well, they've been there, so they It's so interesting how it all fits together and you find out, oh yeah, they came from them and they came from them and I'd forgotten it. Boaz was through Rahab's line and um, Ruth was from, I forget. I, I do too. <laughs> and she was a Moabite. And they were, neither of those groups were allowed in the temple and then they had David, and he was the king, and, and they were supposed to be outcasts, but God still loved them and used them for his mm -hmm. purpose. Yep. Good. Moving on here. Um, second aspect of, of chapter 7, verse 10, is to do the law, or do, do the word. Know what the word says and allow it to guide you. Know the commandments and principles that Christ has set for us and emulate the life that Christ lived for us as an example. So Christ, a.k.a. the Word of God, right? The Word is words made flesh and dwelt among us. He set an example for us to live. We have it all right here again at our fingertips. And we can read it. We can see how Christ lived. We can seek to, to live Christ, to do it. So keep that in mind. And then the third aspect is to teach it. Talk about scripture with other believers. Challenge one another in the word. Seek to disciple and or be discipled. And share the word with those who don't know Christ. So this is kind of a lot, a lot of this is, I can't remember exactly what the t-shirt says that, that we had a while back. Uh, learn him. Love him, learn him, serve him, share him. Yeah, it's kind of a similar, similar concept, right? We, um, we study the word so that we can know it. And then we can do it and we can share it, right? Share it with others, talk about it with others, challenge each other in it. Um, so I encourage you too, if you, if, as we've kind of done the discipleship mentality here in our church, if you're not being discipled, find somebody that you can you know, get together with once a month or something along those lines and just talk about the word and, and try to sharpen one another. Find somebody that might be a little bit younger than you, take them under your wing. Um, and help them along a little bit and just seek to be discipled and to disciple others, uh, training, training each other up in the Word. Um, know the Word so you can be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, Ezra was ready to, to share, you know, he, he was ready to go to Jerusalem to teach the statutes. Uh, and I think he had the reputation of knowing the, the scriptures in and out. Um, you know, as I was reading through the lesson book, it 
kept on referencing, hey, Ezra probably was meditating on these things, this, this piece of scripture at the time. I didn't include those in the lesson this evening just because we don't really have proof that he was thinking on those things. But there's different aspects throughout all of this that um, could have been calling to mind scriptures. You know, that um, and kind of throughout all this, I think of um, Psalm 1. Um, Trying to remember, blessed, blessed is, is man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth in ways that are yes, standeth in the sea of the scornful. Yep. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So that, that's especially verse two, that kind of encapsulates what I think about Ezra, um, and his devotion to, to scriptures. Uh, so I'm going to close just by reading that, that verse again for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord to do it and to teach its statutes uh, and rules in all Israel thanks for listening for more resources visit our website mbcgrimes.org may the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory